0: This morning the scripture reading is in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles All the believers were together and had everything in common They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Has this ever happened to you? You walk out a big store or maybe the mall Or maybe even here at church, you step out the door and then all of a sudden you realize you have no idea where your car is. Does that ever happen? Maybe you come out a different door. Maybe you get disoriented. For whatever reason, you're distracted and you don't remember where you parked. If that hasn't happened to you, just hang on. It will. Just give it some time. So what do you do when that happens? You do what any reasonable person does. You just start walking up and down the aisles with your clicker, trying to get one car's lights to go off so you know where your car is, right? That's, I guess that's what you do. I've seen you do that at Walmart. I've seen you. You would think that where we parked would be something we would remember. It's important, right? We're not going to get home without the car. It's an important detail, and yet so often we just sort of overlook it. But think about this if there weren't any other cars in the parking lot it'd be pretty easy right you wouldn't forget where you parked you could see it right there because no other cars were there there is something about the clutter there's something about the clutter in our circumstances that causes us to forget so let me ask you a more important question do you ever forget God you know he's there, you just aren't sure where he is. And maybe it's because you're distracted, maybe it's you're disoriented by your difficult circumstances or confusion or big decisions or just what's going on in life right now. Or maybe you're just busy doing other things. For whatever reason, you just overlook God. You fail to acknowledge God. You don't remember to talk to God. You don't remember to recognize what God is doing. You say, well, that should be a pretty important thing. How could we forget God? Shouldn't that be the most important thing? We're not going to get home without him, right? We're also going to struggle in this life apart from God. Maybe it's the clutter. Maybe it's just the clutter of our circumstances of life of the world, of our schedule. Maybe it's just the clutter that keeps us from seeing clearly where God is. From remembering God. We're in a series right now we're calling First Church. We're looking at the church we read about in Acts chapter 2. Specifically, we want to, to capture that same sense of passion and power that these believers had it's so evident when you read their story and so we want to capture that same sense of purpose in our world today and so today as we wrap up this series i want you to notice one really important detail i want you to notice something that we cannot overlook we should not overlook something that is central to who these people were and should be to who we are and so as we go back to that text in Acts chapter 2, I want you to notice, I want you to notice the subject of the action that is carried throughout this description. Acts 2, 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. I know that's really small, but isn't it nice that we can see it now better with our new projectors? That's so nice. My eyes aren't as bad as I thought they were. I can actually read that. But notice the subject, I highlighted it for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs done by the apostles. 44, all the believers were together. 45, they sold property and possessions. 46, each day they continued to meet together. And they broke bread in their homes. At first glance, you look at that description, and you say, well, this church, this group of of believers, it was all about them, what they were doing. And any success they had must have come from their hard work and their efforts. It is very clear that the first church, they were all in. They were completely involved, they were incredibly active. We read that they were devoted, to the apostles teaching they were devoted to each other they were certainly devoted to God but the story of the first church and certainly the success of the first church wasn't primarily about what they did nor is that our story it can never be our story because we read in verse 47 the subject changes it goes from they to he Forty-seven, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And by the way, they weren't being saved by those believers. Obviously, they were being saved by God through Jesus Christ. But notice how it's worded there. The Lord added to their number. Luke framed it that way for a reason. Could they visibly see God adding to their number? When they met together, did the back doors open up and they saw this huge hand reach down from heaven, ushering people into the assembly? Oh yeah, there's God. He's, wow, he's bringing more people. When it was time to introduce your visitors and guests today, was there an angel in the crowd saying, yes, God has uh, sent me to bring these visitors here. I want to introduce Bob and, and Sally. And No, there was no visible indication as far as we know that God was adding to their number, that God was behind this, and yet they knew very well that God was behind it. How would they know that? Why would they know that? Well, go back to the foundation of their faith. Go back to the message they heard at the beginning of Acts 2, when Peter at Pentecost preaches and everything seems to converge. The events of Jesus' death And resurrection the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and now Peter stands up to preach and all of this is coming together by the power of God and notice the message notice the way Peter frames the message and I put some of the highlights there for us and by the way if we ever try to preach or teach and don't mention God and don't highlight Jesus we're wasting our time this isn't about self-help. This is about God helping us. And certainly it was that day at Pentecost. Verse 17, Peter quotes from Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on the people. This is God speaking. Verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens and above and signs on the earth below. Verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God. See, God is active here. He was accredited to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Who did those? Which God did through Jesus. Verse 23, it was God's deliberate plan. Verse 24, God raised Jesus from the dead. A few verses later, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from whom? From the Father the promised Holy Spirit. In verse 36, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Why would the church think anything different than God was at work? That God was behind everything good that they experienced. And it wasn't just that they knew God had worked in the past, it was God was working among them now. You see, these believers recognized That anything that happened that was good, any growth they experienced, any advancement of the cause of Christ, any way the gospel entered into people's lives and into communities and into families and brought transformation, they knew that that was God. Maybe their recognition of God hadn't had time to be cluttered up and crowded out by other things. They simply talked about what God was doing. They credited God for all the good things happening. You see, spiritual vision produces spiritual language. When we expect to see God, when we are looking for God, and when we see God, you know what we will do? We will begin to acknowledge God. Our speech will begin to describe who God is and what God is doing. Language matters. Luke could have said this now yes he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this text but he could have said it a number of ways I wonder if we would have said it differently maybe verse 47 we would have said they enjoyed the favor of all the people and they grew sounds good sounds descriptive sounds like what was happening or maybe as they continued to work they continued to grow we might describe our church that way right As We continue to do ministry, we continue to grow. Or maybe he could have written, their efforts led to their growth. We hear those phrases and it all sounds very much like how we might describe what's happening in our church. And yet there's no mention of God. Luke says it a different way. He says, the Lord added to their number. It was God who was behind it. It was God who was at work. God blessed the church with growth. And this is more than just semantics, this is so much more than just wording. Yes, language matters, but that wording, that language comes from somewhere. And in this case, it comes from a place of profound faith. You see, I think it was worded this way because, in many ways, it was a rally cry a rally cry for those believers to gather around their common faith and what God was doing through Jesus in their lives. But it's also a reminder for us. It's a reminder for us to do the same thing, to not simply forget God, to not get so distracted or so busy that we overlook what God is doing, but rather to champion God, to celebrate God, who God is, and how he works among us. I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says, take a long, scrutinizing look at what God is doing. This requires patient attentiveness and energetic concentration. Everybody else is noisier than God. The headlines and the neon lights and amplifying systems of the world announce human works. But what of God's works They are unadvertised but also inescapable if we simply look. They're everywhere. They're marvelous. But God has no public relations agency. He mounts no publicity campaign to get our attention. He simply invites us to look. We need to be reminded to open our eyes and look so that we will see God, so that we will notice and acknowledge what he is doing among us. We so often replace God with something else, usually ourselves, and we take credit for what God is doing. And it's not that we intend to do that. It's not that we set out to take credit away from God for ourselves. It's just that we get caught up in the human realm of things, don't we? We get caught up in what we can see and explain and touch and feel, and and, and we need explanations for things we get caught up in the realm of the human experience where there's no room for mystery. Unfortunately, a God-acknowledging mindset wasn't always the norm for first century Christians, which means Christians didn't always look up. They didn't always see God. They didn't always remember him. So later, after the church in Jerusalem that we read about in Acts chapter 2, God uses Paul to begin the church in Corinth a very worldly city and after that church is established later on a man named Apollos travels there and he teaches them and he ministers to them and he encourages them and then sometime after that Paul gets word that things aren't going well among this community of faith that they are having disputes it's very discouraging to Paul Just as I'm sure today when there is fussing and fighting in the church is discouraging to God. So Paul addresses it, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He writes these words, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. I want you to draw your attention to that word. It'll be a theme for Paul. He says, You're still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food. For you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. You are still, what? Worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Paul exposes the true reason behind the fussing and fighting among them. He says, your perspective is all wrong. You're looking in the wrong place. You are worldly. You're looking at yourselves, you're looking at each other, you're looking at what you have done, what others are doing, what they're not doing, and you're missing it. You're missing God because you're caught up in the human drama. He continues in verse 4 For when one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task I planted the seed Paul says Apollos watered it but God has been making it grow so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow I remember that day in grade school that day in science class when they gave us a styrofoam cup do you remember that day? I don't know if they still do this in school, there's probably an app that does this now, I don't know. But back in the good old days, they gave us a styrofoam cup, they gave us some dirt, we stuck that dirt in that cup and we buried some seed down in that dirt and we sprinkled some water on there and we scribbled our name on the outside of the cup, we set it up in the window seal. And I couldn't wait. And that was the hardest part, was the waiting, right? Do you remember? See, we had done our part. We would planted the seed, we'd thrown some water on there, we put it in the windowsill, now we were ready for the magic to happen. And I can remember, the very next day, right when I get to school, I run straight to the windowsill and find my cup, and I look at my cup, and nothing's happening. Because it takes longer than a day, right? You gotta wait a few days. And then finally, after a few days, you get that cup, and you begin to see the first sign of that little green sprout busting through that soil, and it's so exciting. Now, obviously in class, you know, the teacher tells us about seed germination, photosynthesis, and all that other boring stuff. There's an explanation for why it's growing, but what we know as children is there is mystery here. There's something I am seeing, something I am witnessing that I can't explain. I mean, yeah, there's a process and there's reasons, but this is magical. This is magical. I've done all I can do. I can't make that thing grow. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, Paul himself and Apollos, as good as they were, as effective as they were, as faithful as they were, they were simply servants of the master. One of them planted the seed. Another one watered the seed. But who made it grow? He says it was God. God made it grow. It's so tempting for us to assign observable outcomes to our obvious efforts. And we take the credit. And we don't acknowledge what God is doing. Because we need an ordinary explanation to explain the extraordinary. We're caught up in the human realm of reasoning. And Paul says to these Christians, you are fussing and fighting. You are being distracted from your true identity and your true purpose because you're worried about who gets the credit. Isn't it interesting how the more our minds seem to be dragged down into the trenches of humanity, the more we begin to think like the world thinks. The more our values, what we hold to be important, seem to reflect the values of the world. Maybe that's why Paul called them worldly so many times. Is our work important in the church? Absolutely. Should we be actively involved and engaged in ministry, in mission, in the work? Absolutely. Do you remember all the they statements? They were devoted. They met together. They fellowshiped together. We just went through a process of committing, filling out commitment forms, saying, God, in these areas, we want to be committed. And we filled out ministry involvement forms, finding specific places where we can use our God given gifts to serve and to minister to others. Is that important? Yes. But let's not forget that we are simply instruments instruments in the hand of the master builder or the master conductor or whatever analogy you want to use. Actually, a little bit later, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uses that of the field, continuing the agriculture or growth analogy. He says, we are all co-laborers in God's field. It's not about us. It's about what he is doing. The seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That seed comes to life in a person's heart. It comes to life In a family, it comes to life in a community, it comes to life in a difficult situation by the power of God. Now, God may use us to insert the gospel, to spread the gospel, to nurture the gospel, and to teach the gospel, yes, but it is God who brings the growth. So, never forget, never forget that God is always at work. If you don't remember anything else take that line that statement home with you never forget that God is always at work let's not overlook what God is doing among us let's open our eyes let's not be so distracted or busy or self-focused that we explain away the hand of God and certainly let's not remove God from the equation and put ourselves there and take credit for what God is doing when noted Bible scholar N.T. Wright was asked, if possible, on your deathbed, if you could have some last statement to your children, what would you say? N.T. Wright simply said three words. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. If you wanna know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know how to live life, how to do life, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. He says, you keep looking until you're no longer just a spectator, but you're an active part of the drama that features Jesus as its central character. Look at Jesus. And so this morning, I, I want to confront you with a question It's a question that we should be asking ourselves and each other all the time, but I don't know that we do. And the question is this. What is God doing in your life? What is God doing in your life right now? Not what did he do 30 years ago. What is he doing right now? As you stop and think about God working in your life, maybe in your marriage, in your family, in your decisions in your resources what is God doing what is he providing for you what is he protecting you from what sort of eternal vision is he giving you what spiritual blessings is he bestowing on you right now and then the second question is very much related as we think about us as a community of faith what is God doing among us What is God doing in the life of this church think about all the good things that are happening here we are growing the Lord is adding to our number we are developing initiatives and ministries to help us make disciples and develop as disciples the people we support out on the mission field the mission trips we send out They are truly making a difference, bringing about transformation in people's lives. And we are doing all those things, but it's really not us doing it. God is doing those things. Anything good that happens among us, any growth we experience, any peace that is brought to a time of conflict, any comfort that is felt, any restoration that is experienced in relationships, any good news, any transformation, any lives that are brought to Christ, any baptisms, all of that is credited to God. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to lead us in a prayer. And during this prayer, I'm going to pause a couple of times and prompt you to have your own personal time of prayer acknowledging and thanking God for what he is doing in your life and what he is doing in the life of this congregation these are the conversations we should be having we should be talking about this in our homes we should be talking about this even at work what a great way to witness to the world I know it gets tricky in some of our jobs, right? You don't know what to say or how to say it, and you don't, I mean, it's tricky, right? But what if you just talk about what God is doing in your life? I mean, what, what are people gonna do, argue with you? No, I don't think God did that. What an opportunity that is. Just speak of what God is doing. What is God doing in your church family? What is God doing in your family? What is God doing in your marriage, if you're married? What is God doing in your future? Speak of God, and so we're going to pray. And like I said, I'm going to pause a couple of times and let you acknowledge and thank God for what he's doing in your life and in the life of this church. We often ask God for things, and we should. He wants us to. But in this moment, try not to ask for anything. Just acknowledge God and thank him. Let's bow together. Father God, you are a holy, a mighty, a just a loving merciful God and father you have done and continue to do so much in us and through us father and for us God you have been good to us you are good to us there's so often that we overlook your goodness we overlook what you're doing we get distracted we get disoriented father we get self-focused so in this moment we pause And use this opportunity to thank you for what you are doing in our lives right now. And Father, as we continue we recognize that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are part of what you are doing among this congregation, this church family, to advance the cause of Christ in our community throughout the world. And we are thankful for that. It's overwhelming to think about all the things that you are doing. And Father, we just stand in awe of your goodness, of your work in our world through us. So Father, right now we pause to acknowledge and to thank you for some of the things that you are doing among this church family. God, you are a good, good father. And you give your children good gifts. Not only that, you choose to work in us and through us. Father, help us to be faithful to you as you are faithful to us and you bring about growth among us. For that, we give you all the glory, we give you all the thanks, and we praise your name. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. Just imagine for a moment... The prayers that were sent up around this room acknowledging God's work in all the different lives and all the different stories and all the different situations what a wonderful sacrifice of praise to God again that's how we need to be living our lives those are the conversations we need to be having But as we said earlier, spiritual vision produces spiritual language. Those conversations won't happen unless we begin to look up and see God. If our eyes are always in front of us and what has to be done and what we need to do and the demands of life, or if our eyes are turned inward to our selfishness and what we want and what we need, we will continually forget where God is. May the clutter of this world never distract us from knowing where God is. Let me tell you that God is near you. All you need to do is reach out to him. Maybe this morning is a time you're ready to reach out. And maybe for you that means giving your life to him who gave his life for you. It means being baptized into Christ, clothed with Christ, so you have forgiveness of your sins, so you have eternal life, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. If that's the case, we'd be happy to celebrate that decision, to help you with that decision this morning. Or maybe we can encourage you, pray for you, lift you up, hold you up to God. We'd be happy to do that as well. We're going to stand and sing. We'll have a couple of shepherds and their wives in the parlor. It's a room right behind me. They'd be happy to receive you there. You can go out any of these doors and make your way there. Or maybe you want to come to the front and make your need known to this congregation today. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.